Welcome to the PeedsNP, Pearls of Pediatric Evidence-Based Practice. I'm your host, Becky Carson, Clinical Assistant Professor at Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C., and today we're going to talk about two pretty common drugs that seem to give parents and new prescribers some trouble, Tylenol and Ibuprofen. You may think that this all sounds simple because they're such common over-the-counter drugs, but do you really know the history of severe complications in the United States? the ins and outs of prescribing, and the practical issues that parents encounter in the pharmacy and at home? Stay tuned as we cover all of these topics to help you make the most out of the dose. When I started my career as a nurse practitioner, there were two concentrations of pediatric suspensions for Tylenol, one for infants and one for children. The infant version of 80 milligrams in 0.8 mLs was three times more concentrated than the children's concentration. The marketing thought was that this was so parents didn't have to give as much volume of medication for the same effect, which makes no sense because babies drink ounces of breast milk or formula at a time. This meant that mistakes in dosing were far more common, and it led to accidental overdoses that resulted in liver toxicity or even death. Between the years 2000 and 2009, the FDA received reports of 20 children dying from acetaminophen toxicity, a number that likely significantly underestimates the problem because it doesn't account for overdoses that went unnoticed or unreported. I frequently have students and meet young providers who had no idea that this dark history of Tylenol existed. Thankfully, in 2011, the FDA changed the concentration of infant acetaminophen to the same 160 mg per 5 ml suspension that's used in the children's version, and manufacturers stopped making the infant suspension. Unfortunately, acetaminophen remains the most common drug overdose in children in the United States, according to the 2020 data from Poison Control which is why it's so important for providers to be savvy about prescribing practices so that we can educate families appropriately. Now that infant and child acetaminophen has the same concentration, one remaining reason for accidental overdoses is that cough and cold preparations tend to combine acetaminophen with other medications like antihistamines, cough syrups, or decongestants. This polypharmacy often goes unnoticed by parents who are giving concurrent Tylenol for fever or discomfort, and this leads to overdose. Safe storage is also important too, and we should always remind parents that the poison control number is 1-800-222-1222. Ibuprofen, the generic name for Motrin or Advil, also has its own complicated issues in pediatric patients. For one, it's not recommended in children less than six months of age. So providers have to remember this when advising parents on fever and pain management in young infants. There remains a concentrated infant version of ibuprofen that comes in 50 milligram per 1.25 mLs, a concentration of 40 milligrams per mL, which is two times as potent as the children's concentration of 100 milligram per 5 mLs. This is a big issue in pediatrics, and I'm really surprised that it wasn't addressed a decade ago when Tylenol went through the same scrutiny on their infant concentrations. Ibuprofen is not completely benign either. As a renally excreted drug, overdoses can lead to acute kidney injury, and the drug is known to cause GI upset, even ulcers or bleeding, because it inhibits platelet aggregation. 
We've talked a little bit about the history of why these drugs and their formulations can be problematic in peds. So let's talk more about a practical approach to prescribing them safely to achieve their intended effect. Both acetaminophen and ibuprofen are great antipyretics and analgesics. They're staple medications for fever, injuries, headaches, and all sorts of supportive care. But there are some key elements to recommending them to parents that are part of my practice in order to keep kids safe and make them effective pharmacologic tools. Number one, I always recommend against cough and cold preparations. The AAP agrees that they're not effective and are dangerous in children, but I spell out to parents that the combination of drugs in them makes them more vulnerable to overdose. I advise families to buy each drug separately, one bottle of acetaminophen and one of ibuprofen. Skip the cough syrup entirely and pick up a jar of local honey to make your own cough syrup. Parents love hearing my own recipe that I make up on the spot. Take two teaspoons of honey and mix it with a little bit of Sprite. Add a few drops of lemon juice to make it a syrupy consistency. And then they love hearing that they can reinvent the recipe based on their child's flavor preferences because it gives them both authority and flexibility in caring for their child. Number two. I always give parents the child's specific weight-based dose of acetaminophen and ibuprofen based on their weight that day in clinic. I do this in both verbal and written form. In the same vein, when I'm taking a history and I find out that they're giving a medication, I reconcile the details and ask which medication and exactly how much they gave, which could be skipped by your triage staff. I'd say more frequently than not, parents are underdosing the medications because they're afraid of giving too much or their child's weight doesn't match the age-based dose on the back of the bottle. Furthermore, the back of the acetaminophen bottle says, ask your doctor for children under age two, which feels pretty scary. So this gives me the opportunity to counsel them on their child's specific weight-based dose to achieve the most therapeutic response. You can also safeguard against the parents who are using an actual kitchen spoon to refer to a teaspoon. We want to make sure that they're using a measuring device, such as a medicine cup or syringe. Although cups can be a little bit more difficult to master, which can lead to dosing errors. They can get an oral syringe for free in your office or in the pharmacy. There have been parents where a language or a health literacy obstacle led me to mark the dose on the syringe with a permanent marker for them so that they could go home and not have any trouble identifying what the dose of their child would be. So what dose of acetaminophen and ibuprofen should you use? I find that students are often confused by drug dosing ranges because they don't know which end of the range to pick. In time, As we practice, we all figure out what the commonly chosen drug dose per kilogram is. For acetaminophen, use 15 milligrams per kilogram to a max dose of 650 milligrams every four to six hours. For ibuprofen, use 10 milligrams per kilogram every six hours. I often max out at 600 milligrams every six hours because I find that this dose is the easiest to recommend in older adolescents who are likely taking ibuprofen because they're going to need multiple doses to treat pain, say from a sore throat or an athletic injury. 
You could go as high as 800 milligrams, but that needs to be spaced every eight hours. And I find a rate of limiting return on the pain control at this dose. Remember that when you're using ibuprofen for its anti-inflammatory properties, that it works best if given regularly to keep a steady dose of the drug in the body. I find that the Q6 hour dosing achieves this really well by allowing a breakfast, lunch, and dinner dose while still allowing the child to get a full night's rest without having to wake up in the middle of the night to take a medicine. In a world where opioid abuse is a grave concern, there have been lots of studies that support the use of ibuprofen with or without acetaminophen in the treatment of mild to moderate pain in children. All of the prior discussion still applies, but it's important to control pain with non-pharmacologic methods too, like rice therapy, rest, ice, compression, elevation. In a child with a sprain, I often recommend ibuprofen every six hours for anywhere from a few days to a week so that I can get the anti-inflammatory effects. But it has to be in combination with rice therapy. Then they can space to as needed and follow up with their primary care provider or an orthopedist if needed. This duration of time is unlikely to lead to any real gastrointestinal complication, but it's always a good idea to have kids take ibuprofen with a small snack if they can tolerate it. Let's get back to the dosing. Never give a child's dose in milligrams and expect the parent to calculate what the volume should be. You should be specific and clarify exactly what volume it is in milliliters only or in the dose per pill that they're giving, in addition to writing it down. Something like, based on your child's weight today, he can have 7.5 mLs of children's Tylenol every 4 to 6 hours or 8 mLs of children's ibuprofen every 6 hours. Or in an adolescent who maxes out, tell them, she can have 650 milligrams of Tylenol which is two of those 325 milligram tabs every four to six hours. Or she can have 600 milligrams of ibuprofen, which is three tabs. They all come in 200 milligram tabs. So she can have those three tabs every six hours. Number three, related to that, instruct parents never to buy the infant medications. Why not? Well, for starters, remember the issue I talked about with the double concentration of infant Motrin? We don't want to mistakenly overprescribe a medication that can lead to organ damage. But also, the pharmaceutical companies are trying to rip parents off. Infant Tylenol is the same drug and concentration as children's acetaminophen, but the price is six times as expensive. I did a quick online search at an unnamed big box bullseye store and found that they had generic children's acetaminophen listed at about 75 cents per ounce, compared to brand name infant Tylenol listed at $4.40 per ounce. Parents don't understand the difference and just want to do what's best for their child. So I always advise on buying the children's only and encourage them to use their savings on hydrating beverages. Now that you feel comfortable telling the family how much to give, let's talk real quick about the indications. Make sure that parents understand the reason for giving the drug and the intended effect. One of the most common reasons parents seek medical attention for their child is fever. The mere presence of it scares them, but that needn't be the case in the day and age of widespread vaccine use. 
asterisks here. If the patient is less than two months old, you should probably stop listening to this episode and tune in to episode 39 of the Peds NP that discusses the 2021 AAP guidelines on febrile infants. I digress. So for vaccinated children with fever in whom your history and physical reveals a reassuring viral illness, we can reassure parents that fever is not a bad thing. I remind them that our caveman bodies are doing exactly what they're supposed to do when they meet a new germ that it's never met before. And the whole purpose of acetaminophen and ibuprofen is to take their child from uncomfortable to comfortable. I use the example of one morning when my son had a fever of 103. He woke up burning hot, but in a really stellar mood despite his temperature and snotty nose. He was literally running circles around the room, doing somersaults, asking to read books. I did nothing except read the books. About 30 minutes later, when we went downstairs, he wasn't really interested in drinking anymore, and he was noticeably more fussy. So that was my cue to give an antipyretic. I don't really care which one they choose. And about 30 minutes later, he was back to his wild man ways. I admittedly gave him a popsicle for breakfast, which goes against every fiber of my nutrition-minded being, but hey, at least he was staying hydrated. Parents will ask you about when they should give the other drug or ask what to do if the fever doesn't come down. I remind them that the goal is for the fever to go from uncomfortable to comfortable, and that may be from 103 to 101. But if you actually look at your child and they're less irritable and more like themselves, then that is the desired result and they don't need to give any other medicine. I usually give the drug at least 30 or 45 minutes to take effect and see some results. And if the child is feeling a little bit better, which doesn't have to be wild toddler gymnastics, it can be quiet indoor play, snuggling with a book or a screen and responding to questions and interactions appropriately, then that's when you start to push clear liquids on them. But if fussiness or discomfort persist, acetaminophen and ibuprofen are different enough drugs that they can both be safely in their system at the same time. Some parents are frustrated that they had to give multiple doses of the medication over one to two days because a fever persisted. So it's important to make the point that acetaminophen and ibuprofen are not cures for the viral illness. And the most reassuring part of it all is that their child's well appearance in clinic and their vaccine status makes it safe to manage them at home. The meds will make the child more comfortable for a few hours so that we can hydrate them. Remember that this is the whole purpose of the medication. And then the fever is gonna come right back because the body has to fight off the virus on its own, which it is definitely smart enough to do. Reiterate that they should look at their child, count wet diapers or voids, see how they respond to the medication, and call or come in if something doesn't seem right. But since it's totally normal for fever to last three to four days in the beginning of an illness, it's also okay for them to give multiple doses of medicine, given according to your directions, of course. Let's talk about the infamous alternating Tylenol and ibuprofen schedule. 
there's evidence that combined or alternating therapy with acetaminophen and or ibuprofen was more effective at fever reduction than monotherapy. But consensus in the literature still questions whether the benefit is clinically relevant amidst a practice that can lead to misunderstanding that causes overdoses and unsafe use of either drug. The AAP's policy statement on preventing home medication errors agrees that these schedules are difficult to follow and can confuse parents unless explicit instructions and or charts are clearly provided to support understanding. They recommend that the simplest dosing regimen is always the best with any drug routine. So my practice is one in which I don't advise the alternating schedule unless parents really prove themselves to be super savvy. And in that case, I actually created a graphic in my medical record that shows the face of a clock. And it has acetaminophen written over the 3 and 9 o'clock spots and ibuprofen written over the 12 and 6 o'clock spots. As you can see, a lot goes into the counseling of parents on acetaminophen and ibuprofen administration in children. Despite how common these over-the-counter drugs are, there are lots of challenges to combat in the primary care setting. As you build your practice, think about how best to translate bedside education of these evidence-based recommendations to your families, both with words and in handouts, in order to prevent mistakes, support understanding, and help your patients feel better. I hope that you'll like, comment, and subscribe to the PEDSNP where we focus on the practical application of evidence-based practice. There is no financial support or conflict of interest in this or any episode of The Peds NP. You can see show notes and references at www.thepedsnp.com. Remember that this isn't just a podcast. You're helping families take better care of their kids. I'm Becky Carson. Take care.